are in Matthew chapter number 5 today, and as we said last week, we're going to be talking about the Sermon on the Mount, and if you haven't already and would like to, there's the code to get the digital notes. Uh, Of course, there are paper notes on the back table if you would want to grab one of those as well. But we're in Matthew chapter number 5 today. Last week, we finished up with really the intro to Jesus' ministry. He is baptized in chapter 3, kind of the start to it. He is then tested, tempted of the devil in the wilderness, overcomes that. And we talked about the significance of that last week. And then he launches into his ministry, calls his disciples, and begins his ministry here on earth in the end of chapter 4 and into chapter 5. And uh, I want to draw our attention to something that is said at the end of chapter 4. And so look at uh, Matthew 4 and verse number 23. The Bible says, And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel uh, of the kingdom and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. And his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought unto him all sick people that were taken with diverse diseases and torments, and those which were possessed with devils, and those which were lunatic, and those that had the palsy, and he healed them. And so this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And in a nutshell, we see his words and his works. Of course, earlier in the chapter, we know that Jesus begins to preach, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Uh, and, And we see here his works, his healing, his caring, his loving, um, and so that's, uh, in a nutshell, the ministry of Jesus here on, his, on this earth, his words and his works. And then when we get into Matthew chapter number five, we're going to focus on his words. And uh, we focus in, in, and there's a lot to be said on the Sermon on the Mount. We could spend an entire uh, Sunday school series just focusing on the Sermon. We could spend an entire Sunday school series just focusing on the first 12 verses of Matthew 5. Um, and, and, and I want to do that, and I, I, we need to, to continue on moving. And so we're going to kind of look at the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, this first in chronological, or in, in the accounts of the Gospels, this first sermon that Jesus gives to his disciples, to all that will hear. Uh, and we're going to just kind of take a snapshot, an overview uh, of this sermon. Uh, because as Jesus is talking all throughout, and certainly as we, as we read the Sermon on the Mount, so many familiar verses and passages come out. The Beatitudes right at the beginning. Salt and light. Uh, the, the Lord's Prayer uh, in, uh, in chapter number 6. Uh, the, the, the comparisons that Jesus gives uh, to the law of the Old Testament. The law says this, but I say unto you, go further, do more, uh, love more. Uh, we, we see uh, the comparison to the hypocrites in chapter number 6, and then all the way to the end of chapter number 7, uh, where we find Jesus giving us the story of the wise man and the foolish man and how they built their, their houses. So, so many things that are contained in this one sermon. But really, if you were to summarize this, Jesus is beginning his ministry with this focus on what true commitment means to Jesus. Uh, Because look at chapter number 5 and look at verse number 1. Because it's interesting to see, first of all, who he's giving this message to. Uh, Verse number 1 says, And seeing the multitudes... He went up into a mountain, and when, he was deset, and when he was set, look what it says, his disciples came unto him. 
So Jesus, beginning his ministry in end of chapter number four, tells all the people that are coming to Jesus, the multitudes and those that need to be healed and those that need to be uh, cared for. And chapter five starts with seeing Jesus sees them, sees the multitudes. He sees many people that need to be cared for. And Jesus decides to take a break. And he goes up into the mountain and the Bible says his disciples came to him and then Jesus delivers the Sermon on the Mount. Now, I don't know, the Bible doesn't say specifically if this was just the 12 disciples or if this was just those that were committed followers of Jesus. It could be more than just the 12. But we do know that the Bible says that Jesus delivered this message to his disciples, not just to everybody. It was to his disciples. And if we know anything about discipleship and from what we have talked about and, and, and discussed, discipleship very simply is following Jesus. Discipleship, being a disciple, is someone who is a committed follower of Jesus. And so now the Sermon on the Mount directed to the disciples, this is going to be a message unlike anything that they have ever heard before. The disciples have never heard anything like what Jesus is about to give to them. This will be, you get all the way to the end of chapter number 7, and the Bible says they marveled at Jesus because he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. This was unlike anything that they had heard in the synagogue. This is unlike anything that they had heard by the religious teachers of their day. This was completely different. This was next level stuff. Why? Because it was going past a dutiful religious exercise or marking off items on a to-do list or a requirement sheet to follow someone. This was now a heart level, genuine, faith-filled following of Jesus. And so Jesus wants to deliver to his disciples right off the bat. This is the beginning of his ministry. This is the beginning of their relationship with each other. He's called them. They've already decided to leave all and follow him. So Jesus says, look, I want to make sure that you, you know what all this entails. I want to make sure that you know everything uh, that is involved in following me. And so I think very simply we, we can say that the Sermon on the Mount and everything that it contains shows us what the heart of a disciple is. It shows us what it means to follow Jesus and what that looks like. Uh, what a heart that loves and wants to follow Jesus produces in a life. And so just for a few moments this morning, I want to uh, just examine the Sermon on the Mount. And I'm just going to make a bunch of statements. I don't necessarily have points. Uh, you have them on your handout. You have them on your digital notes. And so uh, let's look at just a few things about the Sermon on the Mount and the heart of a disciple, the heart of discipleship. First of all, let me say this. The heart of discipleship is not our natural tendency. The heart of discipleship is not our natural tendency. Again, the disciples are hearing stuff that they have never heard before. They are hearing truth, and not just that it's original truth, but it's truth that's so different than anything that they've ever heard before. Why? Because it's not our natural tendency. Uh, look back at Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 1. The Bible says, And seeing the multitudes, he went up to a mountain. When he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
poor. Well, that's negative. That's not something naturally that we want. Verse number, two, uh, verse number four, blessed are they that mourn. Wait a second. To mourn, that's, again, that's a negative. Verse number five, blessed are the meek. We are not naturally meek. We are not naturally humble people. Verse number six, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Verse number seven, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad. For great is your reward in heaven for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. What? Those things in the Beatitudes, being poor in spirit, mourning, meek, hungering and thirsting after righteousness, being merciful, being pure of heart, being a peacemaker, being persecuted. Those are either A, things that are not natural, our natural tendencies. We don't, we're not naturally inclined to them. Or B, we wouldn't naturally want to have happen to us. And yet Jesus said, these are the things that if you are following me, this is now what I will produce in you. These are the things now that will be a part of your life. These are the things now that you can endure. These are the things now that will be produced from the heart of discipleship. Uh, it is not the norm in society or culture today. We'll read it in just a minute, but Jesus goes on in verse number 13 through uh, verse number 18, and he says that we are salt and light. That's opposite. That's opposite of the world today. We are entering a world of darkness, and we need to be light. We are entering a world of decay and apathy and need to be salt. The heart of discipleship is not our natural tendency. And, and listen, it's not just a different life. Okay, let me, let me make sure that that's clear. It's not just a different path that we choose. It's the opposite life. The heart of discipleship is not just a different life. It is the opposite life because you and I naturally are headed this direction. And Jesus calls us to head in the other direction. That's the heart of discipleship. It's the complete opposite direction of society and human nature. And so, the heart of discipleship that Jesus presents to the disciples here in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, guys, first of all, I want you to know this is something that's completely foreign to you naturally. It's completely opposite to you naturally. It's something that cannot happen naturally in your own life. You cannot produce this by yourself, but we'll come to that in just a minute. So the heart of discipleship is not our natural tendency. Uh, let's notice something else about the heart of discipleship. It is not to be kept to ourselves. It will be noticed if it's real. It's not to be kept to ourselves. It will be noticed if it's real. Verse number 13. Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing, but to be cast out and trodden underfoot of men. Ye are light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid, neither do men light a candle and put it on a bush, under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see 
your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. The heart of discipleship is not to be kept to ourselves. And, And it will be noticed because it is so opposite of what is natural. It's so opposite. It's so countercultural from what is around us. Uh, when you think of Jesus giving us the example of light here, light and darkness, light is the opposing force of darkness. Where there is light, there is no darkness. When light appears, you know, if you're, if you're in a dark, dark room and you shine a flashlight... Certainly the darkness may not disappear completely, but where that light is, there is no darkness. When light shines, darkness makes way for it. Uh, Listen, following Jesus is a personal decision. Being a disciple, being committed to follow Jesus is a personal decision. Again, it's the heart of discipleship, Uh, but it is to have a public impact. It is to be a personal decision but it's to have a public impact. And as we follow Jesus, yes, it changes us. And he changes us. Uh, it, it, it has changed us. And as we are changed, it will change others around us. You're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. We are here uh, to make a difference. See, Jesus has, has given us his mission. That's what he's trying to convey to his disciples. He says, guys, okay, I want to tell you what it means to follow me, and I want to tell you that you're here to make a difference. And as you follow me, and as you become more like me, and and as you learn from me, you will make a difference. Because Jesus has given us his mission to seek and to save that which was lost. And so the heart of discipleship is not to be kept to ourselves. It will be noticed if it is real. Uh, But next, and we're going to kind of move through these kind of quickly to make sure that we get through them. Number next, the heart of discipleship, and this is where where we get down to the the meat of it, the heart of discipleship goes beyond outward confirmation and starts with inward transformation. See, this is where we get down to it. Because Jesus sets the table for the disciples. He says, he gives them the Beatitudes at the beginning, and that was crazy. Blessed are the poor in spirit. What? Blessed are ye when men shall revile you. What? What? Rejoice and be exceeding glad when you're persecuted. Hold on a second, Jesus. Time out, okay? That doesn't make any sense. He sets the table. Then he reminds them, hey, uh, uh, you're here for a reason. You're here for a purpose. You're here to make a difference. And then we get into the rest of chapter number five, and we won't take time to read all of it because it's a lot. But Jesus begins to tell them, he says, guys, okay, I want you to know that the heart of discipleship, it's You've been taught before that you can just conform to on the outside. Following Jesus is not just, again, like we said, it's not just checking off a bunch of things on a to-do list or a check, checklist. It's not just filling certain requirements. That's, that's not following Jesus. That's, that's religion. Following Jesus is a relationship from an inward transformation. The heart of discipleship as you, you read, in, and we, again, we won't take time to read all of it, uh, but Jesus says, and in, in, uh, in look at uh, verse number 21 of uh, Matthew 5. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of judgment. Verse 22, but I say unto you. Jesus says, look, this is, this is the, 
confirmation. This is, this is the, the to-do list. He said, but I say unto you, because you follow me, there's going to be an inward transformation that's going to take things farther. It's going to do more. It's going to mean more. Uh, the heart of discipleship does not ask, what do I have to do? It asks, what more can I do? The heart of discipleship does not say, okay, what's the bare minimum? Okay, all right. 10%, church on Sunday, verse a day, you know, don't say that, don't watch that, don't go here. Okay, that's all I need to do. No, the heart of discipleship says, Jesus, I love you, I want to follow you, what more can I do for you? What, what more can I do for you? Uh, the heart of discipleship, again, it's motivated by love for Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter number 5 and verse number 14. I don't have that for the screen, but if you want to turn there, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 14, familiar to all of us. Paul says, for the love of Christ constrains us. It constrains us. It motivates us. It moves us. That's the heart of discipleship. The heart of discipleship is moved and motivated by a love for Jesus, not because we feel like we have to meet certain requirements. We're following Jesus. We love Jesus. The heart of discipleship is being transformed from the inside out. Uh, look at Romans chapter number 12. Verse number 1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the removing, renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Uh, we won't take time to read it, but if you want to read Romans 12 at some point, uh, Romans 12 is a great commentary on the Sermon on the Mount. It, it, an accompanying passage of Scripture. Because Paul has set the stage throughout the entire book of Romans for salvation. He's presented the gospel. And then when we get to Romans 12, Paul says, now, This is the life that ought to be produced in you through the renewing of your mind. And, and Romans 12, uh, uh, again, we won't take time to read it, but there are so many similar countercultural uh, emphases, emphases, uh, emphasis in Romans chapter number 12, similar to what we read in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, the, the heart that it produces, the loving and the caring for others, the following Jesus. Uh, a transformed believer is becoming who Jesus is. See, this is for a disciple, for somebody who is following Jesus, you and I following Jesus, we are not trying to be a better us. We are not trying to be a better us. That's not the goal. That's what the Pharisees were trying to do. We're not trying to be a better you or I. We're trying to be like Jesus. We're trying to allow him to make us like Jesus. We're trying to allow him to make us like him. And so whenever we feel like we're conforming to something... Whenever we feel like uh, we're being forced to do something or forcing ourselves to do something, that's when we need to look at the heart. Are we allowing Jesus to make us more like him? Are we trying to make ourselves just better? Are we, trying, are we allowing Jesus to lead us and guide us? Are, are we allowing it to be a heart transformation and not an outward confirmation? That's the heart of discipleship. The heart of discipleship is allowing Jesus to lead and letting him do the work from the inside out, not us 
trying to make it happen ourselves. Because we can't. And we'll come back to that in just a second. The heart of discipleship, listen, the next point, heart of discipleship lets a relationship with God determine our relationship with others. It lets a relationship with God determine our relationship with others. Uh, Chapter 6, Jesus begins to deal with the Pharisees. Again, going back to what the disciples have heard and seen regarding religion for the most of their lives. Verse number 5 says, And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogue and in the corners of the streets, and they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have the reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut the door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. See, the problem, the focus for the Pharisees was on the outside. They were, therefore, they were focused on the relationship that they had with others around them, before their relationship with God. They were more focused on what other people thought of them. They were more focused on on the praise of men. They were more focused on their reputation, and that determined their relationship with God instead of first their relationship with God, then determining their relationship with others. Uh, It affected their interactions, their views of relationship with others. Uh, Listen, focusing on the outside, focusing on... Focusing on making sure that I have everything all together and I have it all in line and I've checked all the boxes. Focusing on the outside makes it all about you. And and everyone else, the relationships that we had, exists as confirmation or affirmation that you're doing the right thing. Because men can see the outside and you can see man. And so man will either praise you Man will either appreciate you, uh, man will, you, you can compare yourself to someone else to make sure that you're doing it right, either positively or negatively. Uh, being just seen of men, as the Pharisees were, we focus on the outside, then we're focused on our relationship with others first, determining our relationship with God. But when we focus on the inside, when we understand that the life of discipleship is allowing Jesus to change us, we're focused on following Him first, we're focused on our relationship with Him, then man is left out of the equation initially. Because now we let God do the work because only He can see the inside. We let God do the work because that's the relationship that we're focused on. He makes us what we ought to be for others. And then, because of our relationship with God, now, now we're not concerned what others think. Now we want them to also have that relationship with God. You know, you read in, in 2 Corinthians 5, we just read it about being motivated by the love of God. You continue on that later, and Paul says, you have been given the ministry of reconciliation. Because of your relationship with God being motivated by God's love and your love for God, Paul says now you have the opportunity to affect others' relationships with God. The heart of discipleship lets a relationship with God determine our relationship with others. Uh, Next, the heart of discipleship focuses on the eternal first before the temporal. It focuses on the eternal before the temporal. Why? Because the focus is Jesus. The purpose is Jesus. The mission of Jesus. The teaching of Jesus. The commands of Jesus. The will of Jesus. The, a disciple is committed to following Jesus. 
A disciple is committed to following Jesus. And so everything else takes a backstage. Everything else takes a backseat. Verse number, uh, chapter 6, verse 19, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. In verse number 33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. Jesus says, hey, fellas, okay, we got to focus here. we gotta, we got to focus on the most important thing. The heart of discipleship focuses on the eternal. Why? Because it's directed to a relationship with Jesus. Uh, next, the heart of discipleship recognizes God as our Father and seeks him out of love. The heart of discipleship recognizes God as our Father and seeks Him out of love. Uh, God is referred to as Father 17 times in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, He forgives us in verse 14, chapter 6. He rewards us in chapter 6, 4, 6, and 18. He provides for us in chapter 6, 28, 32. He responds to our requests in chapter 7, verse 11. We're called to imitate his love in chapter 5, 43 through 48. We pray to him in Matthew 6 and verse number 9. After this manner, therefore, pray ye our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And we're supposed to trust him. Matthew 6, 32. For after all these things do the Gentiles seek for your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. The heart of discipleship recognizes God. This is the gospel connection. Because uh, Jesus, through Jesus, we can receive the adoption into God's family. And when we come to God through Jesus, we enjoy His fatherly affection when we deserve His wrath. We boldly draw nigh as children when we deserve to flee as enemies. The heart of discipleship recognizes God as our Father, seeks Him out of love. Uh, Next, the heart of discipleship produces a life of discipleship which produces a life of stability. The heart of discipleship produces a life of discipleship, which produces a life of stability. That story of the wise man and the foolish man. Verse number 24 of chapter 7, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock, and the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall likewise, shall be likened, excuse me, unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand, and the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. The heart of discipleship is, again, like we just said, is focused on Jesus. It's centered on Jesus. Uh, Hebrews 12 uh, says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. A life of discipleship, living a life of discipleship, where, where everything about life for us, our interactions with others, our relationships with others, our goals, our pursuits, uh, our daily living, down to the smallest detail, that can only be produced from a heart of discipleship. That's what gives lasting results. Uh, A a time, listen, a time of discipleship, not a life, a time of discipleship. And we've we've all known people, we've all seen people that have had maybe a time of discipleship in their life. A time of discipleship can come from a head of discipleship. That's conforming. 
but it doesn't last as long and it can't be sustained. It's like trying to put the wrong fuel in your vehicle. You're not going to go very far because it's not being fueled by the right thing. A heart of discipleship. Following Jesus by being transformed from the inside out is the only way to guarantee stability going forward. Now, listen, it doesn't guarantee peace and quiet in life. Now, I'm not here to tell you that life is, is you know, fine and dandy and, you know, just great from following Jesus. Uh, that story, verse number 24 You've got the wise man, and I'm not going to sing the song. A uh, wise man built his house upon the rock. Look at verse 25. And the rains descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew. See, both these guys had to face the storms. Both these guys had to face the difficult times. Both these guys had to face the frustrations. Both these guys had to face, face the unknowns. Both these guys had to face darkness. One of them built his house upon the rock. One of them was a disciple that focused on Jesus. One of them was a disciple that allowed Jesus to transform him from the inside out. And when that storm did come, there was stability. The house stood firm. And so for those of you that have big decisions coming up, you have big things coming up. You know, the end of college. The next step, maybe you've graduated from college, you've kind of done what you, you're, you're planning on doing here, and now it's, now what? I've been working this job, I've been in this location, now what? Is this going to be the rest of my life? Hey, if you've got big decisions coming up, can I tell you, just follow Jesus. If, if you've got big opportunity, maybe there's already been some decisions that have been made or, 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 or you know, some, some choices that have been made that, that, that are affecting what's coming, the opportunities that are coming in the future, some big life moments that are exciting and awesome. Can I tell you? Follow Jesus. Uh, if you've got some big unknowns coming up, whether it's decisions, whether it's just you're not sure how something's going to turn out, Follow Jesus. There's stability. There, there, is, there is something to focus on. Let me just say this as we close, okay? When it comes to following Jesus, remember that it is a heart thing. Discipleship is not a life that we can conform to. Yeah, yes, there are roadmaps. There, there, there are pictures in scriptures. There are things that we can say, oh, well, I want to have this. I want Jesus to produce this in my life. I want, I want my life to, 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 to show this. I want to do this or that. Uh, but it has to come from the heart. It cannot be externally managed. Discipleship is a life that is transformed from within us. Through the power of Christ working in us to make us into his image, we do and serve and follow God from the heart. But again, it doesn't come from our own power. It doesn't come from our own strength. It doesn't come from our own ability. Uh, this is the last statement, I believe, on your handout. Jesus empowers the obedience that he commands. And that's the wonderful thing about a life of discipleship. When we decide to follow Jesus, if we'll allow him to lead us and guide us, he's the one that gives us the power. He's the one that gives us the ability. Uh, Ezekiel 36, God says, A new heart also will I give unto you, and a new spirit will I put within you, and I will take the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit from you, 
and cause you to walk in my statutes, and ye shall keep my judgments and do them. Uh, God wants us to follow him. And if we'll be willing to allow him to do the work in us, and I think that's what Jesus was trying to tell his disciples. He's like, fellas, okay, this life that I've called you to, you're not going to be able to do it by yourselves. You're not going to be able to make it on your own. But if you continue to follow me and allow me to do a work in you, then we're going to see what God can produce in the life of a disciple.